Church, let that be our prayer this morning. Thank you, worship team. God, I need you now. The Christian life is one of dependence. Every day, every morning we get up. Let that be your prayer, God, I need you today. And that God is faithful. I wanna welcome you all again. So welcome, new community, those who are watching online, thank you for being here. Our speaker today, as you heard, is Pete Blodgett. I'll just read this brief uh, intro. It's, it's been a blessing to have our fellow ministers from Bronzeville uh, joining us, and you will continue to see that. So get used to it. Hey. Pete is the Director of Family, Youth, and Children Ministries at Bronzeville, New Community Bronzeville. Uh, Pete loves to see God work through uh, his diverse church to transform communities toward the kingdom of God. With two decades of youth ministry and pastoral experience, he is committed to equipping students and strengthening families as they strive to live out the gospel. Pete and Nikki have been married since 2007 and live in Woodlawn with their four kids. Will you give Pete a warm newcom welcome? Good morning, family. Oh, I, th I thought we warmed them up a little bit more than that. Good morning, y'all. All right. Um, I appreciate that, that intro, Tim. I, I don't know about you, but when I write my biography for the website, I don't anticipate it being read out loud. Um, so it sounds a little, little interesting. But I appreciate you guys allowing me to be here this morning. Um, I have been here one time before. Um, but being a part of Newcom Bronzeville, um, Logan Square is definitely near and dear to our hearts. Uh, we hear from you often, hear about you often. Um, I've loved even um, in the last few years how we've connected more uh, in person, joint services, leadership, um, combined leadership meetings, things like that. Um, I've loved being a part of that, that partnership and that connection. Um, so it's an honor to be here today. Let me pray again. Um, and this is more for myself, but just asking God to, to be with us and bless us in this time. Father, we thank you for the gift of your word. God, we ask now that, that we, through your word, that we would hear you speak. God, I pray that you would hide me behind the cross, behind the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that we can hear clearly from the Holy Spirit. God, bless us through your word this morning. Challenge us, convict us, encourage us, build us up, and strengthen our faith this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to be preaching, um, continuing your series on good news people with the title, Devoted to Being Good News People. And I want to preach from Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. So if you're able, if you wouldn't mind standing for the reading of God's word this morning. From Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. And it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. 
They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. You may have your seats. So I've always admired people who devote themselves to like one single thing in their life. I don't know if you know anybody like that. Um, but, but I'm always fascinated by those who, who say, this is like the one thing that I'm going to focus my entire life around. For instance, years ago, I was drawn into this reality show called Whale Wars. I don't know if you're laughing at the title or laughing because you know the show. Um, but it's centered on this man and his team who every, every fishing season, I forget what, what time of the year, but, but every fishing season they would go down towards Antarctica in the southern ocean and they would by any means necessary do whatever they could to scare off these fishing boats that were going after whales in the southern ocean. Right? And, and they would go to crazy lengths. I mean, they, they would like climb aboard these other ships. They, they would um, do things to disable, you know, the propellers and all this. They would throw like basically these stink bombs of acid onto the ships to, to spoil anything. Like they, they did crazy stuff to protect these whales. Now, I was drawn to the show not because I'm particularly passionate about saving whales, although I, I love the ocean. I believe God has called us to steward his creation well. Thank you. All right. That is the truth of God's word. But I am not particularly devoted to saving whales in that way. But I was drawn to it because, again, like their entire lives were wrapped up in this mission. That I'm going to save these whales from illegal fishing. And they were willing to risk their lives, risk their freedom because of the crazy acts that they were doing. All for the sake of protecting these whales. And I watched seasons, multiple seasons of this show. And I know I'm not the only one to get sucked into a show like that, right? Maybe I am. Thank you. But again, like, I, I was so drawn to this devotion that didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. But nevertheless, they were devoted. They were willing to give their lives to this. And, but beyond TV shows, right, again, people who are so singularly devoted are fascinating to me. And that's what we find in today's passage. As Luke is writing this historical account of the early church after Jesus has died and risen again and gone into heaven, he describes this church and how God worked through the church when they, were de when they devoted themselves to the gospel and to each other. This type of devotion, again, has always drawn my attention on I think it's because I feel the exact opposite way, right? I'm one of those people, I have a ton of diff different interests. And I've invested my, my time, energy into so many different things over the years. And I don't think that's wrong, right? It, it's fine to have varied interests and be into a lot of different things. But I think because that's kind of my nature, people who, who are opposite of that, people who have this singular devotion are fascinating to me. But in this passage today, we'll find that God wants us to be devoted. God wants us to be devoted to the gospel and to others so that he can work through us. So as we continue to learn what it means to be good news people together, we'll see what it means to be devoted, 
what we should be devoted to, why we should be devoted, and how we can be devoted together. So that's our roadmap for today. But as we begin, what, what does it mean to be devoted? What does that word mean? I'm sure it's a word that, that we, we've thrown around a lot. We, um, I think of the Christian sense, the, the first word that comes to mind is devotions, right, which is a totally separate thing. Right? But what does it mean to be devoted to something? This Greek word here means continually devoting oneself. Right? So it's an ongoing process. I know most of our English translations, it looks like past tense, that they devoted themselves and it was a done deal. Right? But these Christians were constantly, continually devoting themselves to the things listed in this passage. They were giving steadfast attention to it. They were, they were persevering and not fainting in their devotion. Again, to give your, your attention, your commitment to something in an ongoing manner. Often it's translated, uh, this word is translated in some form of continue. So continue, continually. Again, stressing the ongoing nature of this devotion. Devotion is not a, a fleeting thing or dependent on the moment. So every Friday night, um, as Tim said, my wife and I have four kids. Every Friday night, we have pizza and movie night. Um, movies vary, but, you know, I have kids from 14 all the way down to four. So, you know, usually they're on the younger scale of the movies. Um, but one of my sons, I, I have a daughter and then three sons. One of my sons, without fail, doesn't matter what movie we watch, he will find a character or a theme, and that's what he's excited about immediately right afterwards. So if, if we watch a movie that has a ninja in it, he will immediately find some kind of costume, find some, some kind of sword, some di- and, and he's fighting around the house after that movie is done. Right? If we watch a football movie, he's upstairs. Sorry, I was born in Wisconsin, so, so we got Packers gear in the house. Um, he, he has this full uniform, right? So he's got the helmet, he's got the uniform, he'll put it on, he'll be running around the house with this football, right? So he gets so excited because he just saw something, and that's all he wants to do until the next day. Right? He's so excited about this, but then it's gone in a day or two. Right? That's the opposite of devotion. Right? That's a fleeting, man, that looks really cool, I'd like it, but no, nah, that's not really for me. Right? Devotion means it doesn't matter the circumstance that I find myself in. I am singularly focused on pursuing this one thing. That's devotion. That's what it means to be devoted. So with that in mind, what should we be devoted to? What was the church devoted to here in Acts chapter 2? All right, we find four things. They were devoted to four things. You'll find them in verse 42. So if you're following along, they're listed right there for you. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to fellowship. They were devoted to breaking of bread and to prayer. So we're going to dive into each one of those real quick um, so we can examine what they are and what it looks like for us to be devoted to these same kind of things. So the apostles' teaching. Here the emphasis isn't on the apostles themselves, but it's on the teaching that they were doing. Right? The apostles had the authority to lead the church, but they didn't have the exclusive right to teach. As we, as we go throughout the book of Acts, we see others joining in that teaching, teaching the church, teaching um, those who are around in the community. Right? But the emphasis is on the teaching. They were teaching all the truth of the Old Testament that they had up to that point but also teaching all that Jesus had taught them. So they were combining the, the written word that they had access to, that they had heard throughout their lives as Jewish people, 
But then combining it with, with, with what Jesus said and did while he was on the earth with them. Remember, these are people that had firsthand knowledge, firsthand experience of Jesus. They were with him on a continual basis through his, his life and ministry on earth. So they combined all of that and began to teach what they knew about Christ. Acts chapter 5 verse 42 says, um, describing this another way, it says, day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. That was the content of their teaching. Now I'm sure they talked about what it looks like to live that out, right? But the focus was the fact that Jesus was the promised Savior who has come to save us from our sins and deliver us from this world. That was the content of the teaching. That's what they devoted themselves. We sum that up as the good news, the gospel. Right? The fact that Jesus has come to this earth, died, risen again, so that we can be saved from our sins and be, and be part of his family forever. That is the gospel. Amen? They were devoted to teaching the gospel, making sure that all knew who Jesus was. But they also committed themselves to fellowship. Now, if you've been in Christian circles long enough, you've heard the term fellowship thrown around, right? And it can mean a lot of different things. Everything to small groups, to potluck after church, to, you know, just hanging out and having a good time, Right? I should have chose a better water bottle for today. But, but this Greek word for fellowship is koinonia. And koinonia is, has the idea, it's from the root, root, root word koinos, which means common. So it has this idea of, of sharing things in common with one another. Right? Um, it has a level of commitment to those that you share a common bond with. There's a level of intimacy, of relationship that's happening here. It is more than just a social club that you, that you gather together or a gathering where you might be in the physical space with people on a consistent basis, right? There's a commitment to those who are present within this koinonia, within this communion that you have together. And we find this in the early church. When you drop down a couple verses to 44 and 45, we, we find that the believers were meeting together and taking care of one another. Verse 44 simply says, all the believers were together. And I love that it doesn't add a whole lot right there. They were just together. It doesn't really describe how, at least right here. But it just leaves it. And I think sometimes the, the Bible is great about just leaving something, dropping it. And letting us just sit there for a second. Right? It doesn't say, well, they were together at their services. Or they were together for a prayer meeting. Or, or, no, it just says they were together. That's the important thing. They were together. And they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. We're going to come back to this a little bit later. But I just want us to sit in that for a second. They shared everything they had. 
even the property, the possessions. When, when I think about being generous, because I know the Bible has called me to be generous, when I think about generosity, I think about what is the extra that I have that I can give up, right? I got my bills paid, my family's taken care of. There's some extra stuff maybe I was looking at, but I guess I could give that money up to somebody else. You know, I don't necessarily need that right now. That's not what was happening here. As you continue through chapter 4, chapter 5, people were selling fields and houses and giving that money to the church to take care of those in need. I mean, I don't have any extra fields and I have one house. But I mean, imagine hearing a need, me looking around and saying, well, I don't have a ton of extra money, but I do have this car here. I could take the bus. I could take the train. I could sell this car. I mean, for me, that's, that's radical, Right? For me, that's a little bit uncomfortable to, to even think about, let alone really consider doing. But that was a regular occurrence happening here. But it came because they were meeting together. They knew each other. There was a bond here. They loved each other deeply. And that love came from how Jesus had loved them. And they knew how to care for one another because they watched Jesus care for others. That's what fellowship is. Yes, physically being together, but being connected, knowing that it doesn't matter who you are, where you came from, what you look like, we have a common bond in Jesus Christ. And because of that, we are united. We have fellowship together. They devoted themselves to nurturing that fellowship. They also devoted themselves to breaking of bread. And this phrase is interesting. It can either mean communion, like the Lord's Supper, or it can mean simply having a meal together. All right, we, we're going to sit down and break bread together. Here in verse 42, most, most commentators agree it refers to the Lord's Supper. It, refer, it refers to the act of taking communion together. If we drop down in verse 46, they're breaking bread in, in one another's homes, which more, more so refers to a meal together. So they're, they're, they're doing both, right? It's not one or the other. They're doing both on a regular basis. But, but why communion? I grew up in church. My, my dad was a pastor. He's retired now, but he's a pastor my entire life. Been in church since I was born. Communion was one of those things that it took me a while to really understand. Beyond just, yes, I know it represents Jesus' death. I, I, you know, once I was old enough, I recognized that. But why is it really important? What is this doing for me? Right? And why are we doing it together? From this passage, I believe communion, they were devoted to communion so much because it allowed them to remember and proclaim Christ's death and resurrection. And because they were doing this on a consistent basis, it, it was an act that made sure the gospel was front and center in their minds. Because as I experienced throughout my church life, as I got a little older, it's so easy to get caught in this, this routine of tradition. This is what we're doing. This is what church is. And not always actively being gospel-focused, gospel-centered, gospel-motivated. Because this communion, being front and center in their activities and in their lives, was the motivation behind everything that they did. So to make sure that they didn't forget what the gospel was all about, they broke bread together. They took communion together. It was a constant reminder that the gospel was a motivation for how they lived. So they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, breaking of bread, and to prayer. 
Now, this word prayer here um, is actually plural in the Greek. And it refers to the specific times of prayer that they would meet together. It doesn't mean that they weren't devoted to prayer in general. Right? But here specifically, they were gathering together to pray. The Jews held morning, noon, and evening prayers. And as these Jews were converted to, to Christianity, as they became believers and followers of Jesus Christ, they, they held this same prayer routines throughout the day. So they would gather at the temple and pray with one another. So yet again, it's building on this idea of fellowship, this communal aspect to prayer. But the devotion to prayer in general was modeled after Jesus' devotion. Mark chapter 1 tells us of, of a time when Jesus spent an entire day ministering. He was healing. He was teaching. People were bringing, like, demon-possessed people late into the night. And, and Mark 1.35 says, very early in the morning the next day, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. The disciples had watched Jesus take time away to spend with the Father. And this wasn't a one-time thing. It wasn't like, well, man, I'm really drained from yesterday, so I better make sure I pray today. No, this was a continual thing. The Gospels tell us of multiple times where he, he went away on a mountainside to pray or, or he often withdrew to lonely places to spend time with the Father. The night he knew he was about to be arrested, he went to the garden to pray. Right? This, this was part of Jesus' life, his DNA while he was on the earth. And I'm sure the disciples are watching and they're thinking, man, if, if Jesus, who is God, thought prayer was important, how much more do I need it? How much more do I need to make sure that I'm spending time with our Father in heaven? They devoted themselves to prayer. They were committed to spending time both personally and publicly in prayer together. Now, why is this type of devotion so important? What, what, what would this look like for us? If we are committed to the apostles' teaching or the teaching of the gospel, if we're committed to fellowship, breaking of bread, into prayer. See, I think this is important because it, it pushes back on our society. The devotion of the gospel and devotion to, to loving one another pushes back on the way our society is set up. See, the gospel rejects ourselves as the center of our world. If I firmly believe and follow the gospel, I cannot be the most important thing in my life. All right? Following the gospel makes sure that I put myself in a proper place, in a proper priority behind Jesus Christ. Devotion to the gospel means that God and his kingdom are the determining factor in how I live my life. It is not what is best for me. It is not what is most comfortable for me. It is not what will advance me the furthest. It is what will advance God's kingdom for the greatest glory of my Father in heaven. That is what determines how I live my life. So when I'm asking myself this first, when have we made ourselves a priority over the gospel? When has there been a time where you knew the gospel was pushing you? When the gospel was pushing you to go somewhere you didn't want to go. To befriend somebody you didn't want to befriend. To care for somebody that you did not want to care for. 
And how many times, again, I'm speaking about myself, how many times have we chosen ourselves over the gospel? So when have your goals, when has your comfort, when has even your sin taken priority over the gospel of Jesus Christ and being obedient to that? But it's not just the gospel itself that pushes back on our society. The simple act of loving others pushes back on how individualistic our society is. See, loving others and loving others in this way means that we sacrifice ourselves for the good of those around us. I don't think I'm out of line to say that is a pretty anti-American sentiment these days. To sacrifice myself for the good of those around me. See, it takes a lot of love, a lot of love to make sure that the needs around me are met in place of my own needs. But loving others isn't, isn't just about meeting the needs of other people. Because how many of you in here have been in need before? Anybody else? Okay, about half of us. The other half are lying. Look, we, we are all in need at different times. So part of loving others is being vulnerable enough to make our needs known. But again, we can't do that without fellowship. If I don't know you, I'm probably not going to let my needs be known to you. It takes a lot of boldness and a lot of courage to share my need to people I don't know and trust. But within the common bond of Jesus Christ that we have, it's an act of love for me to be vulnerable because it allows you to follow the gospel and meet my need. Right? It's a joint act of love for me to express, hey, this is what's going on in my life. I need some help. That means I love you and I feel close enough to, for you to know that. And now for you to love me well means that you do all that you can to meet my needs. Are you aware of the needs of others in this church? Do you have that level of closeness to where people feel comfortable to be able to share the needs that are going on in their lives? Because I've been a part of way too many churches where I would never let people know if I had a need. Because the culture of the church was to put your best face forward. To come in and say, oh, I'm doing good. I'm blessed. When really my life is crumbling behind the scenes. Is the culture of this church one where people can be needy and it's okay? People can express their needs and have their needs met within this body of believers. I pray that it is. From what I know about you all, I feel like it is. But for me, it's a good check. But not only within these walls, but are you aware of the needs of your community? Are you aware of the needs of your local school, the park districts, the community organizations that are here? Are you connected enough to your neighbors to know the needs that are in their lives? It's so easy to come and go following our busy routines and just walk right on by people and places that are so full of needs that we can meet individually, that we can meet collectively as the church. 
But we have to be connected to one another enough to know those needs, to feel those needs, to be able to meet those needs. So we must be devoted to the gospel and to loving others. But why is all this important? Beyond just, we, we know that's what the Bible says. We know, you know, Jesus told us to live this way. Why is it really this important to be that devoted to it? Let's look at what happened when the early church was this devoted. Verse 43 says that, that awe came upon those who are around. Right? People who saw the church living this way were filled with awe. And this word means uh, fear or dread. It's similar to the fear of God. So it's recognizing the power that is here and being a little bit put off by it. Right? They were in awe at the wonders and the signs that, that, were, that were happening here that the apostles were doing. And this wasn't like mere amusement, like, oh, hey, they healed somebody. Let's go check it out. Right? No, it was, they knew it came from God. There was that fear of God attached. They knew that God was validating the, the authority and the leadership of this church through the wonders and signs that were happening. And it scared people. There was awe because of what God was doing here. But people's needs were met. We, we read verses 44 and 45. People's needs were being met by the, because of the closeness of the fellowship. But this is not... This is not a new thing. This is not a, a, something that Jesus brought that was foreign to everybody else. We see this in Isaiah 50, 58, um, verses 6 or 7. Isaiah says, is not this the kind of fasting that I have chosen, God is talking, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Here's verse 7. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. See, from day one, God has designed his followers to be in community to meet the needs of those around them. This is not a new concept. This is not a, a, a new form of social gospel or even just a justice-oriented concept. This is a gospel concept. To love one another, to care for one another. To meet physical needs as well as spiritual needs. Verse 47. The result of the early church being devoted to these things was that people were coming to faith in Jesus Christ. All right, verse 47 says, and, and Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, I, I don't know if it's a sad indictment maybe on my church experience, but I can't remember. No, I can't remember. A, time, a, a church that would say we had 365 salvations this year. Right? Now, yes, I, I've heard about big revivals and things like that, but, but in my, like my personal experience, I don't know a church that said, man, we had 365 new people come to Christ this year and be part of this church. If that happened, like church growth experts would be, like they would be coming to visit, study, do all this to try to figure out what is going on. Right? But this church, because of the way they were living, literally people were coming to faith every single day because of what they saw. And not only that, if we, if we jump backwards here to Acts 1.15, Luke is describing after Jesus has ascended into heaven, all the followers gather together. And there's about 120 in the room. 
Now, maybe some were missing, you know. We know that, you know, if you go in the membership role, not everybody's there, in a, you know, on a Sunday morning. But there were just a hundred people there, a couple hundred people maybe. Fast forward to um, chapter 4, verse 4. A list, at this time the number grew to 5,000 men, not including women and children. And we know through Jesus' ministry how inclusive he was of drawing women and children in the mix, right? So that number is hugely inflated. So now, in a, in a matter of just a couple chapters, which is not long time historically, this church has grown from a couple hundred to now thousands and thousands of people. Why? Because they were devoted to teaching the gospel, living in fellowship, breaking the bread of communion together, and praying together. God was working through them because they were devoted to him. What can God do through this church when his people are devoted to him? I don't have an answer to that. But I would encourage us to dream. I know the last year or two have been pretty rough for you all. I've heard and watched from afar and, and prayed with and for you all. But Carlton, I appreciate what you were saying about the idea of change and seasons. And, and I think there are times that as, I've, as I've watched churches go through similar struggles that this can often be a time for, for a reset, for a reexamining. For an opportunity to dream of what is possible for the future. I know there's healing that needs to happen. But in the midst of that healing, what does God want to do here? What can God do through you when you are devoted to the gospel and to loving others? Imagine what can happen through this church with that type of devotion. How many would, would feel the love of Christ for the first time because their needs are being met in a way that they haven't experienced before? How many could replace the, the, the loneliness of this world that they feel with a sense of belonging because of the hospitality they feel when they walk through these doors? How many would trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for their salvation because they heard the gospel preached that explained the love that they felt and they saw? How could this community be transformed by the gospel being lived out in its midst? Let's dream together. What can God do here? What can we ask God to do here? See, God wants to work through his devoted people to show his love to the world. He desires to do that. Now let me say this, God, God can work any way that he chooses. We have plenty of biblical examples of God working through people who did not want to be used by God. Right? We have, we have kings who are anti-God that God used uh, to, to move nations around. We have even his followers like Jonah who, didn't, who wanted no part of what God was doing. Right? So God can do whatever he wants. But most often God chooses to work when his people are devoted to him. When his people are ready to be used by him. But how is it possible for us to be this devoted? Now let me say right now. This is not performance driven. I grew up in, um, again I grew up in church. And, and for a time I was part of a youth group that was very performance driven. Had good intentions. 
about training young people to, to do the work of God, to be involved in ministry, to do all this. But it was very, like, let's keep track of everything you're doing to make sure that you're doing it, right? And it became very performance-driven in myself, where I knew my salvation was free, but my sanctification had to be earned. That is not what this is, right? That is not what this is at all, because that's not the gospel, right? So for us to be devoted to the gospel, we have to push back on that narrative, but this is only possible because of the transforming power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Notice when this is taking place in the book of Acts. This is happening after Pentecost, right? In, in chapter 1, before the Holy Spirit was given at Pentecost, they were, they were behind closed doors. They were meeting together, right? Huddled up, not knowing what to do next. But chapter 2 comes, the Holy Spirit is given to them. Now the gospel is taken outside, right? And people begin adding to this fellowship. Now, this doesn't mean that the church didn't believe in Jesus or what he had taught. And it didn't mean that they didn't want to live out the gospel. But they didn't have the power behind it. Even Jesus said so. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, he said, but you, talking to, to his followers there, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Even Jesus knew, as much as you love me right now, you need a little help. You need the Holy Spirit's transforming power to empower you to do the work that I have called you to do. It wasn't that the early church was more disciplined than we are or that they were a perfect people. I know there are times we, we can read the Bible, we can, um, we can kind of fictionalize and idealize some of the heroes and, and the early church here into being perfect people, but that's not the truth. They had struggles just like us, struggles with sin, struggles with selfishness, Struggles of busy schedules and all of that. But what they knew is they were convinced by the gospel and they were empowered by the Holy Spirit to do the work of God. They were simply living out the transformation that God had already done in them. But here's the good news for us. If we believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have that same Holy Spirit living inside of us. Each one of you who call yourself a believer of Jesus Christ and a follower of Jesus Christ, have that same power. We have the same power that resurrected Jesus from the dead. We have the same power that was given on Pentecost. The same power that was, that was allowing the apostles to do these wonders and signs. We have that same Holy Spirit living inside of us. 2 Corinthians 1, 21-22 says, And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. But man, if you've been following Christ for a while, it can be easy to go on Christian autopilot. Or it could just be me, I don't know. It can be easy to get in the routine of this is what it means to follow Jesus. I'll go to church on Sunday. I'll read my Bible and I'll pray during the week. But other than that, I got a lot of stuff going on. Right? I, I got work stuff. I got family stuff. I got to have a little personal life as well. You know, I got to, there's a whole lot going on. And it can be easy to feel like that's, that's all that God has for me. As long as I'm reading my Bible and praying and I'm going to church, then I'm good. That's not devotion. That's compartmentalization. That's just adding a little bit of Jesus into my life that I've already chosen. Are we regularly making space to hear from the Holy Spirit? 
And I'm not talking like let me read a chapter and kind of pray for five minutes in the morning. But are we making space to be available, to be quiet before the Lord, to hear his voice? Are we allowing that space as, as a church? Are we coming together being like, you know what, we're, we're going to praise God and we're going to sit and listen. Because we need to hear his voice today. Are we spending quality time with God so that we are sensitive to his voice and sensitive to his leading? I know I get going so much that I'm sure God is prompting me and talking to me in different ways that I just blow right by throughout the day. I know there are times where God wanted me to say something to somebody and I convinced myself I did not have time. Or I was so busy I didn't even hear it to begin with. And just blew by opportunities for the gospel. We all do that. We need to train ourselves to make space. Train ourselves to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's voice. So have we as individuals, have we as a church, gotten stuck in the routine of tradition? Stuck in the routine of just this is... This is what my spiritual life looks like. This is what the life of our church looks like. Or are we open to the moving of the Holy Spirit? Are we open to him changing things up and rearranging things so that we can be more attentive to the gospel? We must be guided by the Holy Spirit if we are to be responsive to the gospel and to the needs of others. So only because of the, the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us can we be devoted to God and to loving others well? As we close, by very definition, good news people must be devoted to the good news, right? That's what defines us. If we're good news people, kind of have to be devoted to the good news. Amen? And that devotion to the gospel must translate into a love for others. The gospel is never never meant for us to hold inside. The gospel is never meant for us to live that out in here, but walk outside and look like everybody else. The gospel transforms us into people who love others well. And if we're devoted to the gospel and, and we translate that gospel into loving others, this is how God will use us to impact the world around us. This is how God's will will be done on earth and his kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. This is how his justice will roll down in every community in our city. This is how the watching world around us will be drawn to faith in Jesus Christ when they see our devotion to the gospel and our devotion to loving one another well. Because when we are transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, we will be devoted to the gospel. And we will be devoted to loving others. And when we are devoted to the gospel, when we are devoted to loving others, God can and will work through us. Amen? Father God, we thank you. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the, the life, the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That means that we can enter into your family to be a part of your kingdom. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit that makes all of this possible, God. And we ask that you would make us attentive to your voice. That you would humble us. God, I pray that we would allow you into every area of our life. 
so that we can be fully transformed and ready to be the people that you have called us to be and to do the things that you have called us to do. Help us to be shining examples, not of how good we are, but of how great you are. Father, fill us with a love for you, a love for one another, and a love that draws people into this fellowship that you have created here. Father, help us to be good news people, fully devoted to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.